I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Werstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and innovators so they can thrive by doing what they love. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. This is episode 145, and today I'll be sharing my interview with Jeff Fromm. I first met Jeff after I saw him speak at this year's JCK Las Vegas show on the topic of The Purpose Advantage, which also happens to be the title of his latest book. Jeff has built a reputation for himself as the millennial and Gen Z marketing guy, and he's traveled the world sharing his insights and research on how these two generations impact the direction of the marketplace and how brands can reach them. Through a partnership with the Boston Consulting Group, he led the first public study of millennials in 2010. He's the president of FutureCast, a forward-thinking trends consultancy, and a partner at Barclay, a creative idea company. He's also a regular contributor to Forbes. I was particularly interested in the insights Jeff shares in his 2019 book, The Purpose Advantage, which explains how brands can be more purpose-driven and why that matters in today's marketplace. In this episode, we'll talk about the meaning of purpose and about how jewelry brands can leverage purpose to stand out in a crowd. But before we get to the interview, I want to share some marketing-related news and insights from the past week that caught my attention. According to an article from JCK, the Louisiana-based jewelry manufacturer Stuller recently shared what they think will be the most popular items for the holiday season. Can you guess what they're going to be? The company's senior director of fine jewelry, Emily Grafagnino, identified the four must-have categories. So first she said ear party. Diamond studs are really expected to sell well this holiday season, and there's a heavy interest in colored gems as well. Consumers aren't wearing just one matching pair. They're seeing six to seven earrings in one ear. Two, definitely personalized jewelry and personalization in general. Zodiac theme pieces, charms, handwritten engravings, birthstones, dog tags, initials, dates, symbols of beliefs, anything that represents the individual is expected to sell for the holidays. Three, lab-grown. Younger generations are favoring lab-grown diamonds, and because they are man-made, people can afford larger pieces that really make a statement. In interest in high carat diamond hearts, studs, tennis necklaces, and bracelets, stackable chokers, all super popular for the holidays. And finally, chains. So Stuller has been providing stores with several prominent chain looks, including the Herringbone and Figaro styles. And there's a lot of interest among consumers in buying great basics and wearing a lot more of them at one time. According to another article from Yahoo, 
Alighieri, one of London's most talked about jewelry brands today, took a fresh approach to showcasing their spring 2022 collection called Inferno Unlocked. And I think it's a super innovative way to be introducing new products to customers. Opposed to a traditional presentation format, founder Rosh Matani released one piece at a time on the label's Instagram feed, giving herself and her customers more room to revel in the stories attached to each product, really letting them sink in for the customer. They're taking time to really amplify the rich stories allowing the label to stand out and highlight its point of difference. Instead of hosting a big press event during Fashion Week or following the traditional calendar, Matani is also planning to host more customer-centric events in October to mark the opening of her new London showroom, which houses the entire Allegheny team under one roof and will be open to customers. There, customers can shop, they can even meet the team, hang out, or read some poems by Dante Allegheny, for whom the label is named. Matani is saying she really wants to go back to the roots of her customers because that's what makes their business so strong. She believes that slowing down is the pace that's synonymous with allowing the story to be more powerful. I love that because we live in a digital world where everything needs to feel fast and immediate. So this approach to slowing down and really reveling in the story is super refreshing. And finally, I can't possibly ignore the great Facebook and Instagram outage of Monday, October 4th. The New York Times had a really great article kind of explaining what happened, giving an overview of the situation. So the outage lasted about seven hours and impacted not only Facebook, but also Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp, four apps that jewelry brands absolutely used to communicate with their customers and share their brand stories. The other issue is that some business owners even use Facebook and Instagram as a sign-in to access other services like business tools, social analytics, and more. So it didn't only affect their postings and interactions, but their ability to do other things for their business. According to this New York Times article, quote, the culprit was changes to Facebook's underlying internet infrastructure that coordinates the traffic between its data centers. I don't really know what that means. It seems really complicated, but huge mistake and fumble on Facebook's part. I conducted a casual little survey on Instagram the day after the outage to see how it impacted jewelry brands that I interact with on Instagram. And the majority of responses were mostly ones of relief. Most people who run brands were honestly semi-relieved that they could take a break from social media for the majority of a workday and not necessarily feel FOMO or fear of missing out in the process. It also prompted brands to think about why email marketing and why having ownership over your first party data is so important. If you have any crazy stories about the outage and how it affected your brand, I want to hear them. Shoot me an email, Larissa, L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you want to get the links to the articles I share in this segment of the podcast, you can sign up for my email newsletter by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up, and you'll get a digest with the links whenever a new episode drops. Okay, let's jump right into my interview with Jeff. 
Hey, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you as a guest today. Thanks, Larissa. Super grateful that you included me. Yeah, absolutely. So even though you don't necessarily specialize in branding and marketing for the jewelry industry specifically, you have so many amazing insights for jewelry specific businesses. And I know that because I saw you speak at JCK and you've contributed at JCK at American Gem Society Conclave. So you definitely have your foot in the industry. So why do you feel passionate about offering your expertise up to the jewelry industry? And what do you find most interesting about this industry? All right. Well, again, grateful for the opportunity, Larissa. My name's Jeff Fromm. I'm an independent consultant and author, contributor at Forbes. I, um, I actually began my career working in retail uh, and still have uh, my finger in retail. I spent a good chunk of my uh, early days working on a brand you may know called Hellsberg Diamonds. Um, and I've worked on several other um, specialty retail brands. And so I think um, part of the opportunity or the uh, intrigue is at the end of the day, many people are thinking about this not just as a, a purchase of a, a lifetime product, but an inspirational moment in their lives. And so, you know, how can we as brands inspire consumers who want ideas, right? Who want inspiration, who want ideas. And ultimately, I don't think most consumers are walking like in the grocery store with a spreadsheet saying, here's the price per ounce of this, and here's their sustainability score, and here's, uh, here's their score in terms of flavor, let me pick a product. And so, you know, when we think about retail, so much of it is also the emotional connection we build as, as brands. hundred percent. So, and jewelry yeah. is such an emotional purchase. Exactly. So, you know, how, how can we do that? And my, my current focus is really fusing uh, brand purpose and sustainability and innovation, you know, sort of think of that Venn diagram with those three components as, as a way to reimagine your best possible financial and brand future. Amazing. And, and, and that's, that's where I'm focused. And that's the focus of my new book and my consulting. I love your shirt for people that are just listening to this episode. Jeff is wearing a yellow shirt that says purpose on it per his book that we're going to talk about in just a moment. And you can come on YouTube to see for yourself if you are only listening to this episode. So yes, and he's holding a copy of his book, The Purpose Advantage. So tell us a little bit about this book, what drove you to write it and like, what was the process of getting it together? Sure. Well, um, I think at the end of the day, many of us want to do better and perfect is the enemy of progress. And so doing better means how can brands make it easier, um, less expensive and more convenient to live our values. Uh, and when the frictional cost of time and money decreases, then consumers feel better about themselves when they align to brands whose values align to their own. And so that was sort of the, the genesis of a lot of it. Um, some of it was born through the research I've done on consumer trends and innovation. And then some of it was um, creating a workshop opportunity, uh, which is in the book and which I do live. And, and, and that's how do we sort of think about reimagining our future 
which is part of brand strategy, right? And um, and so that was that was a big piece of it. Um, it turns out um, over the last couple of years, this topic's become increasingly important. Uh, and this is the second uh, edition of the book, so it's uh, the Purpose Advantage 2.0. So it's it's the new look. And uh, the one thing I would say, you know, sustainability and innovation have been big in the research we've done. And I, and I led the first major study of millennials as consumers before Pew with the Boston Consulting Group more than a decade ago. So sustainability and, and purpose are important. They've become more important by a lot during COVID. And so, you know, if you can engineer that brand or brand experience or product and the, and, and the gap is small, then the, when the price gap is small, it becomes so easy for people to, to act on their values. Absolutely. And I love, one thing I love about your book, I went through it, I read it, I loved it. I particularly love what you said, the workshop aspect of it. There's an actual kind of how-to element. So people can not only read it and get the theories and the ideas, but they can do the exercises in the book to explore their own purpose, which I think is so helpful. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the mistake I made in, in the first few books I wrote was I just, I told stories. Uh, and in this book, uh, we tell stories, but then we give you the tools to be able to um, start to implement uh, the stories in your own work life. And so um, that was kind of fun. Hopefully it's an easy enough self-guided journey, uh, but I also love doing these workshops um, with, with company leaders. So uh, you know, it, it's meant to serve two masters. It, it works for me. And then hopefully, you know, you found it relatively easy to follow, especially after you read a few of the stories. Absolutely. So for people who haven't read the book and this is new to them, define purpose and give some examples of that, maybe a story that you can share to kind of illustrate what that means specifically. Sure. Um, so... You know, purpose and sustainability are, um, in my view, verbs. Now, when you go to Google, you won't find that properly. You'll find that they're nouns. Uh, but as I think about it, I think about it through the lens of the actions that brands take with their employees, with their communities, with their consumers, their customers to demonstrate how that brand impacts people's lives. And, uh, and I, think, uh, I think that's probably super relevant uh, for many of the people who are listening because more and more brands are thinking about how they use their brand as a verb. And so the starting point is sort of moving toward uh, the notion that um, not just what you do, but why you do it is illustrated, not just through a strategy, but through brand action. And that also is the key to not be seen as a purpose washing brand, which is one of the you know things you have to watch out for, which is when a brand talks about what they do, but then they don't act on what they do. So who are some of the brands that get it, get it right? I mean, there are a lot of brands that, that do it. There's some of our big, mature, iconic brands like Unilever. Some are, you know, brands that you would think of, um, you know, whether that's uh, Ben and Jerry's, which I would argue has made a few missteps recently, but 
has a long history of, uh, of taking actions as a brand and in, in, in favor of social justice uh, to, uh, you know, maybe brands that are lesser known that, um, that are bootstrapping it. And, and one thing I would add is you don't need to be a purpose only kind of brand like Ben and Jerry's to have success, right? You can also be uh, a brand that might not be seen that way and still have a lot of success. And like uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, maybe Chick-fil-A whose brand is about customer service. They have very strong values and, and they're seen as purposeful by their employees and their consumers. So it's not like there's a one size fits all approach. And in today's age, environmental justice, economic justice, social and racial justice, these are all roads in. In the book, we use the UN Sustainable Development Goals as the common language because those are generally seen as covering the range of macro issues that we face as a society. Now, one question that I get asked frequently, and it's sort of adjacent to this, is why is all this discussion around purpose and sustainability focused on brands? And, and, uh, and I think in today's age, consumers and your employees expect you as brands to take a point of view. Consumers don't trust government and they don't generally trust organized religion. And the rate of distrust is increasing dramatically for large institutions over the last handful of years. And you can see it in the research data, not just the research my team's done in the past, but, but many other companies have put research out. And so how in the world can you sell this life-changing product that might cost a lot of money in the form of jewelry and not build trust? You have to build trust. And so I think, I think part of the opportunity and the tension point is, is for brands to lean into that and to get comfortable being uncomfortable and pick their swim lane and topics carefully and then focus on how they act on their purpose. That makes so much sense. Do you yeah, think yeah. it's possible for smaller brands to do this as well? Because I mean, obviously the examples you mentioned, they're bigger, more established brands. I think it's probably um, easier for smaller brands to do this because they don't have to turn as big a ship. If you're Unilever, Procter & Gamble, you got a lot of eyes on you and you got you to gotta turn a big ship. Unilever owns 400 brands. They have factories that pollute the planet all over the US, you know, US and the world, right? And so they got to they got to stop doing those things that they've always done and start new things. So if you're a smaller brand, you also have the opportunity to lean into your local community and you could work beyond just the, you know, the frameworks that you see in the book and get hyper local. Uh, your best possible opportunity is to sort of, I think, think of a Venn diagram of, you know, what's going to drive your economic or profit engine that's also going to add good to society. Um, and, and I can think of other examples of brands that you probably haven't heard of. Like for example, you know, mod pizza, does the world need another pizza chain? You know, I like pizza. So I'd say yes, but a lot of people would say no. And if I asked you to name pizza restaurants, you probably come up with a lot of brands like Papa John's or Pizza Hut or Domino's or others. 
that have much higher brand awareness. So how is it that the fastest growing pizza chain is the one with probably infinitely lower brand awareness and advertising spending? It's a purpose and sustainability strategy. And, and at the core, it's a focus on their frontline employees. They hire, train, and celebrate people who might have a checkered past. And they screen out people and they give them the tools to succeed. They don't have proprietary mozzarella at Mod Pizza. Uh, they don't have their own milking cows that have been hand washed for decades in order to make sure that they get the perfect. No, no, they buy from the same suppliers everyone else does. But their employees deliver a better guest experience. They stay at the company longer. It gives them a couple hundred basis point advantage over competitors. And it gives them word of mouth and word of mouth that their guests have a better experience. And they do that because they give people second chances who might otherwise not have gotten the job. Uh, now they hold them accountable. They don't give them third and fourth ch chances, but they give them second chances. Yes. So there, and I there's like a that. model that's about frontline service. And again, when you think about the jewelry business, is frontline service an important component of many smaller brand strategy? I would hope so. I would hope it is, right? So um, I, I think the challenge for smaller brands is you might not have access to the same consultants, uh, but the book democratizes that because everybody's got 10 bucks for a buck. Absolutely. Yeah. And I recommend our listeners also, it's like 99 cents on Kindle. I mean, how can you, Hey, hey. you, you can't afford not to get that and learn about why purpose matters for your brand. So let's yeah. say that like small jewelry brands listening to this, they read the book, they do the exercises, they kind of tap into the, their purpose. Do you have recommendations for ways to like communicate that purpose? Are there certain platforms that are good for that or modes of communication? Like, how do you get that out there? Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with, if you can connecting your purpose to your origin story. And then I think in best in class examples, it starts with employees communicate to your employees, make sure they're able to communicate to customers, put it in your digital and physical customer journey in ways maybe where it's not over the top, but it's found. Maybe the way like you might find an Easter egg if you were a kid, like it's not hidden away from everything, but it's not like smacking you in the face either. And, um, and if you start inside and work outside and you think about that digital and physical journey, then you're going to communicate in ways that are appropriate. What you have to be cautious of is not trying to communicate through mass communications too early in your cycle. You want to make sure that you're acting on it and doing it well before you sort of go to full on, you know, mod, mod never communicated their second chance program through advertising until they were well down the road. And, and still many people who've been to Mod never knew that they did the second chance thing. And that's okay. That's okay. It's, it still gave them a couple hundred basis point advantage in terms of lower turnover and higher guest satisfaction. Sure. So it just reminds it me of like dating or something instead of like listening to someone tell you beautiful things about themselves, like waiting instead to see how they behave in certain situations. <laughs> I think that's a fair analogy and we're talking about jewelry. So like, of course, it's the conversation of love. Like you're a more interesting partner if you sort of don't 
just come out and like, let me give you a PowerPoint presentation of why I'd be a great partner for you. That's, uh, <laughs> so I think that's a fair analogy. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so far we've been talking about your book, The Purpose Advantage, but we cannot ignore the fact that you are a millennial marketing expert, which is like, oh, he's inside my head. I'm a millennial. Like, what does he know about me that I don't even know about myself? Makes me a little nervous, maybe. <laughs> but how did you become, how did you become an expert in this generation? Like what piques your interest about them? So, uh, you know, I'll give you the two versions of the story. One is I have a couple millennial age children and I was co com completely confused and, and befuddled by them. So I decided to start studying it or the true version, the real version. Uh, I was doing a Google search for information as millennials, as consumers. And I used Google the way many of us do. I put in lots of different ways to ask the same question. And every time I did it, I got the same ridiculous answers back, which was to say I got no fact-based content in 2010 on millennials as consumers. And the term millennials wasn't even being used at that point. It was generation Y, which is the same thing. But uh, so I call a friend of a friend. She was the global head of research at the Boston Consulting Group. And I said, hey, um, friend, I'm super interested uh, in studying millennials as consumers. Uh, I don't have enough money to do this project myself. Nobody's ever published anything on the topic. Um, what do you think? Uh, about us uh, doing that? And then what do you think uh, about you paying for half? <laughs> and there's this like long pause. And, and she's like, Jeff, the Boston Consulting Group is not in the business of paying for other people's research. But I'll call you back in a week, which is code in dating, of course. Uh, I'll call you back in a week is code for, oh, this isn't going to go. So exactly. anyway, I waited a week and she called and she said, yes. I did a huge happy dance. I was like, woohoo. I never really expected to get that call back. Uh, she said, nobody's done it. That's why you can't find it on Google. Uh, Pew has a study on millennials and religion, and, and that's about all that's out there. And so uh, worked on that partnership in 2010, published research, ended up writing a book based on a combination of research and, um, and, and brand marketing work. Um, and that was, uh, in 2013. And then sort of from there, things took off and I continued doing research. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, sustainability and innovation are so important. It's, those are macro wins that we see, right. Uh, that are helping some of the most successful brands be more successful. Uh, in terms of what we know about millennials, First, I debunked many of the myths. They're not like all broken, unemployed, and living in their parents' basements among a collection of participation trophies they never, ever earned. That's crazy talk. Uh, there was a recession in 2008 and 2009. There were a subset of millennials who were uh, coming out of college who couldn't find a job, who had a lot of student debt. That created hey. a lot of problems. Created a lot of problems. Uh, but, you know, millennial women over the age of 30 are probably the fastest growing group of people making you know, higher discretionary incomes. Many have started families later. So when you delay family for in, uh, formation and you have income increases, what you see is higher discretionary incomes uh, among um, uh, more and more women in particular who are in the, in the workforce at a higher percent than they have been over decades. And so, you know, many of the trends we saw around technology and fashion and food and whatnot 
sort of started with millennials. And, and let's face it, if I'm a 55-year-old guy, I probably get my fashion and technology cues from someone who's 40 years old, not someone who's 70. And likewise, if I'm a woman, the same. So millennials were sort of the canary in the coal mine on so many trends. And the advent of technology allowed for word of mouth and word of mouth to sort of change the conversation where it was no longer brands talking to you, Larissa, but rather you having the opportunity to talk back. So all of this happened at the same time. And I was able to codify it in a book. And, and, and then people said like, oh, that's really interesting. Now we know a lot of this stuff was never true to begin with. That's all super exciting. It seemed like right place, right time. And like all of that coalesced and you were able to make something meaningful out of it. Yeah. And it was, it was that research with the Boston Consulting Group that sort of paved the way for me to be able to work with, collaborate with, interview, consult with brands, retail, consumer, et cetera, brands looking to, um, to, to change because we had technology change happening at the same time as we had a population of consumers coming through that recession. So you were one of the consumers who was coming out of school in 08, 09 during the Great Recession when it was hard to find a job? Exactly. <laughs> but I feel was- like it was terrible at the time, but I, I wouldn't have chosen any other path because it shaped me to the person I am today professionally. Right. So that's awesome. And that's a great view to take. Uh, obviously, at that moment in time, it's hard. Right? Definitely. <laughs> So I'm sure listeners want to know if their target customer is millennial or even Gen Z, what are some things in 2021 and beyond that they can be doing, obviously having purpose, anything else that you would recommend to like reach these generations? Well, again, I, I, I tend to think about starting with um, integrating your strategy into the business model. It's not about writing a check to charity or something of that nature. Not that that's a bad thing, but rather when you add good to society, it hopefully also helps you generate more customers and more word of mouth and things like that. Uh, I also think it can reduce submerged risks for larger companies. Uh, And and, and then finally, I, I try to take a view that if you start with your employees, then that's probably the best way, uh, um, you know, to go about that. Do you have any insights um, thinking about the fact that the busy holiday season is coming into the ways these two demographics are shopping for holidays this year or even in the future? I mean, I think more and more consumers start with a digital journey. Um, I don't think that means that they're not going to go into retail stores. I don't believe that at all. But, you know, having that uh, journey converge instead of diverge will help so much. I can't tell you how frustrating it is uh, when I deal with retail brands and the digital journey and the physical journey diverge. Uh, the information I get is inconsistent or the pricing is inconsistent or there are gaps in the journey. And, and one way a small brand can do that is just pretend you're the consumer and go through your digital journey and go through your physical journey. The, the journey begins before people show up at your retail store. And many people, if they're like me, and it might only be a subset, a, a minority of your total shoppers, but they're looking for inspiration. They're looking for ideas. They're not just looking for a product. How are you using questions to identify 
what segment you're serving and what you're trying to get accomplished. Like a few good questions that are asked can help any trusted salesperson be more effective. And I say the term trusted salesperson because what you don't want to be is a salesperson. Like, because when I use that word, like it, it goes down the wrong road. And so brands have to really think about this and it's not easy. It's not easy because it means reimagining their training. It means reimagining a lot of different things. I'm curious to hear also your thoughts about authenticity. Um, some of the smaller brands I work with, even like solopreneurs, they equate authenticity with like revealing the full behind the scenes of their personal life or like who they are. And I try to explain that as a brand, you can have a persona and authenticity doesn't have to mean that. What are your thoughts about it? What does authenticity mean for a brand and how can brands be more authentic? Well, uh, authenticity, I think means, um, living and acting on your brand values. Um, it starts with having some clarity around what those are. And then it moves to communicating those to your internal audiences. And then ultimately, probably reporting on those values. How are you doing? Perfect is the enemy of progress. Nobody is perfect. How are you progressing? Uh, and then um, and then ultimately, um, in today's age, being prepared to take a stand on an issue, which historically was not part of brand responsibility. But more and more brands do and, and will need to um, do that in the future. Uh, and, and, it, and it's crazy, but, but that's just the world we live in where trust among big institutions and organized government and religion, and I don't care what your politics are, there's trust in general is like waned you know, I don't care what your religion is either. It's just, there's a, there's a waning trust factor, um, which is a great opportunity if you're in the jewelry business, because uh, when you build trust, I'm, I'm confident you close a higher percentage of the consumers who are seeking you out. So true. Really good point. So Jeff, this has been really fun. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners or anything you want to say about the future of what's ahead for you? Well, first of all, I'm grateful for the opportunity, Larissa. Uh, in terms of the future, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to continue to be consulting and speaking on how to fuse your, your innovation, your brand purpose and your sustainability strategy to generate uh, more good in your communities and more profit to your shareholders in, in the same fell swoop. So I think that's, uh, that's the near term for, for me. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk to Jeff and hear more about the purpose advantage and how it can benefit jewelry brands. Be sure to grab your own copy of the book and his other books about millennial marketing on Amazon and learn about him via his website, Jeff from fromm.com. I look forward to sharing more interviews with you. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, Proven Conversion Strategies for E-commerce jewelry retailers.